We've been looking at the life of Daniel and his writings, and in this book, you don't get away from dreams and visions. That's part of who he was, and I want you to know that that is real today as well. And so even though you say, well, I don't know that I've had these things, first step is even being aware that it's available to you and possible. The next step is to begin to discern or separate what's a pizza dream and what's from God. And uh, there are moments when you're not too sure. Uh, but the truth is, if, if you apply yourself to it in the Lord, it's just one more avenue that he uses to address things. And, and quite honestly, he isn't bound by your belief or not. I mean, in this book, we've seen guys that had no appreciation for God suddenly have the world rocked by a vision. And so when we look at that, there's an awareness that God, when he wants to address something, will get our attention, and we'll get the attentions of our friends and neighbors. And it may be at some point that you'll, somebody comes into conversation and says, I had this dream. You just, you won't believe what it's about, but it, and, as, and you're just going to have to go, well, maybe I would. And then the interpretation, I encourage you not to go down the psychological route that says, well, every dream that has a car has, go to God and say, what did, what did you mean by this? And what's your intent with this? I don't believe that God dreams start with human interpretation, but rather they come from God. And so... The interpretation, and so it's important to go back and address the source. What we have looked at in this first portion of Daniel 9 was that Daniel is reading of another man's vision, Jeremiah. And he's reading along in the scrolls one day, and he says, wait a minute, Jeremiah said that this captivity in Babylon is only going to last 70 years. You know, They've been hauled off, separated from their families. Everything's been tipped upside down. When Daniel goes into Babylon, he was a very young man, possibly 10, 12 years old. And so everything that he's known as a royal family member is gone. He's brought into the service of the chief eunuch, and, and I've addressed that some, but it to me, it's one of those things that Hezekiah had been told by Isaiah, even members of the royal family are going to be made eunuchs. In other words, their family destiny is done. Their, their dream of kids and grandkids, that's over. I'm assuming that Daniel was brought into that situation. So he, he's lost his position as royal family, He's lost the dreams of future family. And yet somehow, even though brought into prominence in this other kingdom, he doesn't abandon the faith that had been his from a child. And he applies himself to that, and he is, his life is used powerfully. And he rises up in four different governments that we know of, where he is given a prominent place. So it's not just like Republicans and Democrats, but this is takeover of, of the, the governments 
and yet somehow he rises up in that situation. So a very unusual man. But his, his devotion you know, is, is consistent. And, and so he's reading Jeremiah's scrolls, and one day he's reading and it goes, 70 years. And it says, when you seek me with all your face, in that same passage, it's not just, well, 70 years are up, it doesn't matter, but you're going to be sent home. No, he says, your hearts are going to be turned. You're going to pursue me with, with all your heart, and, and when you do that, I'll be found. I'm going to draw you back. So in that situation, he says, I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, presenting my plea to the, to, before the Lord my God on the holy hill. So he, he's read it. He's understood it. He's, he's understood from Moses' law what's necessary in regard to covenant. He's understood it from Jeremiah's writings that this is part of the punishment, a violation of, of that agreement that they had had. And he's saying, okay, now we need to apply ourselves. And he takes himself and he's, he's confessing his own sin, which is intriguing to me because he is not a person that's seen in Scripture as having faults. In fact, when you read of the life of Daniel, he is one of the most noble people listed. And yet when he stands before God like the rest of us, there's this knowledge, I'm not perfect. And yet... Almighty God has chosen to let himself be known by imperfect humanity. What we acknowledge to Jesus Christ is that our sins are washed away. And that's the only right that we have to step into agreement with him. But in this situation, he's saying, I'm confessing my sins and the sins of my people. Recognizing that that's part of what's necessary for us to get back on track. When you come to the Lord, even in, your, in the first step, sometimes there's this overwhelming sense of all that's been a part of the past. And yet, though joy is, is that it's taken away. It's washed. It's cleansed. And what we recognize is that in spite of what's been, the wonder of what we have in Christ is that it, he, he is the one who says, I'll make peace. I'll bring this cleansing. But Daniel's in this situation and he says, I'm aware I'm not perfect. I'm going to confess what I have. And he's doing that and he's looking at his people and saying, this is what and who we've been. And he's asking for God's intervention. He says, but here's something that happens next. He says, while I was speaking in prayer, the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in the vision at the first, came to me in swift flight at the time of the evening sacrifice. Daniel's life had a fair amount of system to it. They weren't sacrificing in Babylon. That wasn't allowed to them. But if you go back to Daniel 6, when the story of the lion's den, it says three times a day he'd get down in prayer. And so I'm assuming that because he couldn't participate in the sacrifices, he was daily seeking God during that time. It appears that way from the scripture anyway. And so he says at the time of the evening sacrifice, doing what he always does, kneeling in prayer, he has this vision of of Gabriel coming to him, an angel. 
He made me understand, speaking with me and saying, O Daniel, I've now come to give you insight and understanding. At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I've come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. I love that in connection with the, the imperfect person. Daniel knows that he's not perfect. But still, but what's being declared from heaven is, you're greatly loved. I like that idea. I like that I can have a peace overwhelming my situation. Virtually every day I get to the end of the day and I've not done everything I wanted to get done. Many days I get to the end of the day and I've done things that I didn't want to do or shouldn't have done. But setting that before the Lord and just opening it up, there's this awareness that God loves his creation. And he loves those whose hearts are turned toward him. And there's this hope, you know, settling in, inside of me in those moments that says, I can have peace. I can know in confidence a God who loves his creation. He goes on and, and, and he says, consider the word and understand the vision. We've looked at some of the previous passages where it was noted that in the dreams were coming the, the Mede and Persian Empire, and the Greek Empire, and the Romans. And there were specific things given about each, and it was defined. This particular dream talks about years and ages and days and gives how long things would be. I wish that I could tell you that I have a good handle on it. If I had read just one commentary, it would have been wonderful. There are many interpretations for this. And for me, it's one of those things then that I set on the shelf and say, I would love to understand this fully but I can't say that I do. And I have to come before you and say, this is scripture. I believe it as being inspired, and I believe that it has specific application. It's just that I don't know for sure what that application is. There are times when we bump into passages like that, and, and it would be, it'd be grand to be dogmatic and say, this is it, no other interpretation not that smooth for me. Never has been. That said, there are some very intriguing things date-wise done with this. Uh, I'll read through it and then we'll talk about it a little bit. Seventy weeks are decreed about your people, your holy city, to finish the transgression, put an end to sin, and atone for iniquity to bring into everlasting righteousness to seal both vision and prophet, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince shall be there seven weeks. Then for sixty-two weeks it shall be built again with squares and moat, but in a troubled time. And after the sixty-two weeks an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and sanctuary, and its end shall become a flood, 
and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week and for half a week, and he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. There are several interpretations of this and intrigue me. Um, what you need to know is that the Babylonian calendar and even the Jewish calendar that was based around similar concept is not the same as ours today. It's not as simple as just tracking years on our calendar. Uh, they followed a lunar calendar, but that didn't keep up with the sun, so every third year they'd add a month. And they would at times declare a new year to get things back on track, but that's, that's how they did things. You say, well, that was kind of dumb following the moon. Not really. If you were one of the ancients and you didn't have electricity, it was very easy to track what time of the month it was. Whereas every night you could look up, see the moon, and, and know where it, where it was. Sun tracking that is not quite as simple. But they, they had a, an awareness of both and seasons, and so they would balance it, but they would keep bumping into these glitches. When you and I go back and try to track years, it makes it a little more complicated. That's one thing, which I do not claim to be any kind of genius with. I can get on the Internet. I can figure it out. <laughs> That's the best I can do. What goes are other interpretations. There are several that are intriguing. The primary Jewish interpretation is that after, uh, and they, they take that seven, which can mean days or weeks, and they multiply out that first week, and Cyrus's decree given till Artaxerxes' decree was 49 years. And so it's at seven times seven. They go another the, adding the 62 weeks in, and which is at 483, if I remember right. That lands at a time, 103 B.C., when there was a, a, the end of the Hasmonean dynasty. I know this is getting goofy already. You've never heard of the Hasmoneans. But there was a case where a ruler came to power and slew as many as 50,000 Pharisees. That's destruction and desolation. That also gives you some awareness as to why there was such a spiritual vacuum during the, the birth of Jesus in that season. But that said, the, the, the timetable that's probably more intriguing to me is that in Ezra chapter 2, Artaxerxes says, rebuild Jerusalem. Remember we read, rebuild the walls. Same month, same year, 490 years later, you have um, the death of Jesus, the anointed one. And so there is that possibility of precision going in a way that goes way beyond what we think possible. My gut feeling is that when we get to understand it all, it'll have that same preciseness by the one who knows the hairs on our head and understands all of history 
I think it's there for us. I just don't think that it's easy to mine out. And the only source of, of true understanding is going to be with God's insight as we look at it. Now, there's numerous interpretations. I'm not going to say this is the one. I don't want to leave it like that. I find it intriguing that it points to the season of Christ. I find it also important that Jesus has noticed in Scripture or mentioned as the anointed one. They looked back on Daniel's writings and said, look it, (laughs) they talked about him. They talked about an end to sin. They talked about the anointed one being cut off. Daniel was writing and making these declarations. But also in this passage, there is an appearance that it looks even further down the road and sees a time of the Antichrist functioning until he is put to an end. Now, one more thing about history, and we've mentioned this. When you look and you see something five years down the road or 50 years down the road, it's still future. Some of these writers were seeing things that are actually in our past, but they were also seeing things that are ahead of us. We're looking and going, which is it, behind or ahead? Well, for them, it was all ahead. What's astounding for Daniel is that before the the people ever get their release to go back to Israel, he's declaring it. Before the temple's ever rebuilt, he's saying it's going to be rebuilt and it's going to be destroyed. He's looking ahead and seeing things and saying, okay, I see it coming, but I also see destruction beyond that. So when, when we're reading his writings and we're going, okay, some of that really makes sense yeah, because it's in our past. The, thing, the beauty of it is, is that God sees the future clearer than we see the past. We look and we see, you know, there's history. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you know, he talked about the Medes and Persians. He talked about the Greeks. Yeah, well, and he talked about those four generals, and we've gone through all that. But what God sees even into the future is much clearer than what we see even of the past and what we're trying to put together. And the confidence that grows in me in this kind of thing is that that the end truly is declared. And Christ is victorious. Um, the impact of, of the dreams and such on Daniel, I, I want to just touch on the, the 10th chapter for just a, a verse or two. He has this dream in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia. He got the revelation of a great war. And he says... The understanding came to me about it, and he says, I mourned for three weeks. It was so powerful that what he saw, was, it, was, it was like a, a depressing in the sense of, of the magnitude of destruction. And he's going, for three weeks, I didn't function right. This is a guy who wasn't paid to walk in a funk. You know, he's servicing kings. He's, he's carrying, you know, he's... he's reigning over kingdoms. This isn't a man that functions in, in, in the mopes, you know, and, and walks around, uh, well, I'm just not feeling good today. It's not a good day. Got bad coffee. That's, that couldn't have been the, the, the standard of his life. But the impact of, of these things were so powerful on him that in this case, in the 10th chapter, 
Three weeks is that I, I, I saw this great war coming. And it's been declared by numerous prophets, and we read in Revelation, and we're kind of going, whoa, <laughs> this doesn't look good. And then we see things around us, we're going, you know what, we could be in the end times. This could be really goofy. Well, all of that said, there still is this great confidence in the writers that God wins at the end of time. In the 12th chapter, Daniel gives one of the clearest declarations of death and resurrection that you have in the Old Testament. Jesus spoke about it much more, but in the Old Testament you have scattered references of death and life. But listen to this out of the 12th chapter. At the time Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise, there will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of the nations until then. So this is like that great war that he saw coming, this, this horrific, terrible time. But he says, but at that time your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. So he says God is keeping account of these things. He says, multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Can't get much clearer than that, can you? As far as a declaration regarding eternal life. It's just there. He says, those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens, those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And so there's something laid out to us in saying, this is where the pattern of your life should be. This is what you should be investing in. So when we walk through these passages, and even when we get to some sections where we're going, I still don't just get it. I hope I, hope I do one day. But until that time, I'm still going to carry with confidence this understanding and awareness that God speaks to his people, at times through dreams and visions. And there can be this powerful awareness of where he's taking you. Now, I want to make one more point before I, I close in regard to dreams and visions of this day. How many have had end time type dreams? Higher, please. A significant amount of you. Um, don't know when that's happening. Don't know about it. Just know that they're powerful, right? You have the right to pray into those things. But there are also these dreams similar to me with a grandchild where God gives dreams regarding family. He gives dreams regarding neighbors. He gives dreams regarding community. And you have the right to, to say, what did this mean? What do I need to know? Sometimes it's, it's this awareness that somebody's really struggling and I need to go try to encourage them or I need to maybe confront them on an issue or I need to, I need to get involved. God wouldn't have given me the dream unless he wanted something to take place. The first step is to go back to him in prayer and say, okay, you gave me this awareness. What do, what do I need to do with this? 
But the, the beauty is, is that he speaks to us at all. The wonder is, is that, that he invests in us this way and allows us to function as a part of his kingdom. That he gives us the privilege of knowing what's being written, so to speak. An awareness of what's to be. I'll give you one more dream. Just um, Char dreams much more than, than I do. Um, and, and you'll find that among the... Some of you are going, I, I don't remember a dream that I've had for years. Well, it's okay. <laughs> but uh, there was a, a season when uh, Adam was off at college, and she woke up and said, I had this dream of Adam being invited to be a, a youth pastor or a, a youth pastor, we were, he was trying out at this church in New York, and it was a very um, uh, upscale church. And, uh, you know, I had this dream that a, a, a box fell in a closet, and uh, somebody, a missionary that we knew said, it's a, a snake, and but don't worry, it's dead. You know, somebody brought it back. And she woke up and she said, that's strange. So she calls him and tells him about this dream. Within a week, he got a call from a church in New York, which that position would have been very constricting. It was a constrictor snake, constricting of his life. And there had already been the, the link <laughs> to the dream and, and she had forgotten about it but he remembered it and we're just going and the call came through a missionary friend which is you know it just it piled up the first time I told it a snake came crawling in that door and and we're, we're going what's going on Mike Vrooman Philippines experience picks it up walks out but <laughs> <laughs> The rest of us, don't ask me to do that. Uh, I'd be stomping on it or something, but not playing pets. Uh, but, you know, the, the involvement of God with our lives is something that kind of blows our mind at times. You know, and we think, Would that, is that possible? Well, I'm here to tell you I believe in it. And part of the confidence is out of passages like these that we've been walking through and saying, he's done this in centuries past. He does it today as well. He's involved with his people. He wants them to be aware of where he's taking their lives. He has a destiny for each one. What an awesome thing that is. Why don't you stand with me? We thank you for your word that speaks life to us. We thank you for your scripture that unfolds your revelation to humanity. We thank you for your involvement in privileging us with dreams and visions at different stages of life. I ask that over this congregation there would be the awareness of your voice speaking into each heart. I pray that there would be a confidence of being able to stand before you 
ones who have been made perfect in you, who have been cleansed by you, and have the privilege of walking in fellowship with you. I pray that there would be also that strength of belief that says, I will will die one day, but be united with you throughout eternity. May that be the sense of peace overwhelming each heart as each one stands before you. Wash away our sins. Prepare us for that life with you forever and ever. Thank you that we have the confidence of your victorious ending in all things.